2: Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
3: I'm Jesse Bayliss. And I'm Richard Wells.
2: And today we're discussing The Burning. It was written by Peter Lawrence and Bob Weinstein, from an original story by Harvey Weinstein, Tony Malam, and Brad Gray, created by Harvey Weinstein, directed by Tony Malum, with uncredited work from Tom Savini and produced by Miramax and then released by Filmways Pictures.
3: Uncredited? I thought Tom Savini was credited.
2: As a director?
3: Oh, okay. Sorry.
2: Right. Uh, I thought you were making a confused face because of created by Harvey Weinstein?
3: Yeah, I mean, I just assumed the character concept because...
2: I mean, usually that's just a story credit, and created by is... A television term not a movie term well i or... literally think it's in there because they just hadn't made a movie before and didn't know what they were
3: doing <laughs> that's possible i mean sometimes they don't they use the created by if it's like um like a, an existing character that you created right, right, right. like a comic strip character
2: yeah that's not the case here rami malik was born four days after this film was released happy 40th rami malik the Cropsey urban legend had already existed for decades before this film came together, a ghost story told around campfires by Boy Scouts and sleepaway campers in the New Jersey and upstate New York areas. It usually involves a man named Cropsey who is released or escapes from a nearby mental hospital and preys on local campers.
3: I can't help it. Every time you say the word Cropsey, I would think dropsy and I'm like, oh, he just has like, you know, like edema. Like, yeah, he's <laughs> just, you know, bloated. <laughs>
1: I keep, I keep wanting to say Topsy, as in Topsy Kretz, from the number twenty three.
2: Top no. secrets.
1: You know that that's that's the ultimate reveal. Is that
2: the is that the Harold character? Is Topsy Kretz the? Uh, what's the actor's name? Jim Carrey. Oh, t- Jim Carrey is 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 Topsy Kretz?
1: Well, like, spoiler alert for the number twenty three. If you haven't seen it, yes. Oh, okay. Like, yeah,
2: I thought that was the other character. The only other person I knew that was in that movie is Harold from Harold and Maud. He's like a post office worker or something. The character is almost always maimed in some way, usually sporting a hook in place of one hand and often using the hook to kill people.
3: I mean, I feel like, not. I, I don't know that this is the same urban legend, but I know that the hook hand urban legend with like, you know the the teenagers in the car and like driving away and the hook still on the handle like is that supposed to be cropsy
2: i think that's connected yes
3: okay
1: i i never went to camp so i never really was told kind of like spooky campfire type stories yeah i feel like that like that's like a thing that's missing from my childhood
2: (laughs) well the west coast doesn't have camps like that so Mm. i definitely didn't go Mm. to them
3: I mean, I feel like I know urban legend stuff. Uh, I don't I don't know that I've heard them at camp. Did
2: you go to camp as a child?
3: I, I went to a couple of camps.
2: All right, well, yeah. lucky you. <laughs> We've already seen several loose adaptations of the Cropsy story over the course of this podcast alone. So far, the story bears some resemblance to the 1st and 2nd Friday the 13th. But even before that, some of the details factor into 1971's The Two-Headed Transplant where a psychotic killer escapes from a mental asylum to attack people in the surrounding hills, which we saw again in Home Sweet Home this season. Mm -hmm. An argument could even be made that the film within a film that kicks off He Knows You're Alone was another adaptation of the Cropsey story, because it's the couple in the car in the woods.
3: Was there a hook-handed guy in any of the um, scary stories, books?
2: There's definitely a guy that didn't, that he had a golden arm, I think.
3: Because I feel like that's where I, I know a lot of urban legends from.
2: Yeah.
1: Or like Mr. Pruitt from Adventures in Babysitting. The, oh, sure. After After Elizabeth Shue tells the, the hook, the scraping story. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And then they get picked up by the tow truck driver.
3: Yeah, totally.
2: A 2009 documentary called *Cropsy* outlines the evolution of the urban legend on the way to telling the story of convicted kidnapper and likely serial killer Andre Rand, who some believe to be the inspiration for Cropsy. Rand's life began a lot like hp lovecraft's they both grew up on the east coast their fathers died when they were very young and their mothers were subsequently institutionalized here the similarities end <laughs> <laughs> lovecraft went on to become a celebrated sci-fi horror author and racist while rand went on to be the prime suspect in a series of missing person cases spanning from 1972 to 1987 and perhaps earlier than that
3: well, wait a minute if 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 he went on through 87, how would it be inspiration for this? Because clearly he wasn't caught yet.
2: But the people were missing, starting in 72.
3: Yeah, but they didn't know. Okay, all right, go on.
2: Trigger warning that I'm about to discuss charges of sexual assault, and if you'd rather avoid that kind of talk, I'm going to go ahead and recommend skipping the whole movie because there's a lot of it in here. Andre Rand worked as a janitor, orderly, and physical therapist at Willowbrook State School in Staten Island. I don't know how you can be a janitor and a physical therapist at the same school. You
3: could be a shop teacher and like a track coach, we learned.
2: I guess.
1: (laughs) I get two paychecks this way.
2: Yeah. In 1969, at the age of 25, he was caught attempting to rape a nine-year-old and consequently spent 16 months in jail. Shortly after his release in 72, a five-year-old went missing and he was the lead suspect. Nearly a decade later, in 79, he was accused of raping another young woman and a 15-year-old girl, but charges were never filed. What? No idea why. Different time. In 81, another 9-year-old escaped a candy van scheme run by Rand, and again, no charges were filed, but a 7-year-old from the same neighborhood disappeared months later and was never found. In 83, Rand took a bus to a YMCA and packed it with 11 kids... He took them all to White Castle and then to Newark Airport to watch the planes for a while. The children were returned unharmed, but Rand was sentenced to another 10 months in jail for false imprisonment because they didn't want to go with him.
3: Where did he find 11 children to fill a van with?
2: (laughs) Well, if you got the right candy. He had been suspected in many local disappearances but wasn't connected directly to anything until the 1987 disappearance of a 12-year-old girl with Down syndrome when he left behind evidence of his presence near where her body was found sadly he was convicted only of kidnapping though while in prison he was convicted of a second kidnapping and isn't up for parole until 2037 but these, the, all the missing children stories and sightings of him with these kids led to the story of Cropsey and the, this guy that was crazy that took children off the street Okay, which seems very different
3: well I was going to say that doesn't really feel like it links back to this movie at all because it's it's murdering teenagers at a camp and
2: the documentary tries to make the case okay Famed Hollywood producer Harvey Weinstein was eager to work in the film industry and saw the profitability of the horror film genre. He put together a draft based on the existing Cropsey legend, initially called the Cropsy Maniac, and later Cropsy, on the way to The Burning, though some posters still exist with the title Cropsey. Actually, like the Cropsey Maniac, the best of those titles. But then you're, you know, there's also a movie called Maniac at the same time, so you have all yeah. kinds of problems.
3: I think Cropsy's is a weird word,
1: too. Yeah. Yeah, I, I kept whenever they said it in the film, I kept trying to s- figure out what they were saying. Yeah, I yeah. think saying Crosby.
2: Nope, Cropsy. <laughs> if you'll recall, last season in our review of "Don't Go in the House," we mentioned that that film was initially titled "The Burning," but that director Joseph Ellison backed down to avoid confusion with this film. Distributor Filmways did make a late push for the title "Tales Around the Campfire," which sounds like a rejected title for "Are You Afraid of the Dark?" Yeah it sounds like a nickelodeon show it doesn't sound like a real movie about scary stuff as we mentioned in our friday the 13th part two review tom savini passed on that film disappointed with the story to jump to this one savini has complained about this film's rushed schedule which only allowed three days for the development of cropsy's burn makeup savini based the look on a burnt beggar he'd seen as a child in pittsburgh
3: oh god yeah that's horrifying and
2: combined that with textbooks on burn victims in spite of the rush, Savini was very proud of the finished product and agreed to go on a publicity tour with the film.
3: I think he should be. I think yeah, he, especially the burn makeup, I think is amazing in this film and like all the other effects that he did. Fabulous.
2: Yeah. Tom Savini and Harvey Weinstein have both repeatedly brought up that the original concept for the film was registered in April of 1980, a month prior to the release of Friday the 13th, because they really hate the comparisons that people make to that film, but they are unavoidable. Besides, the April 1980 timestamp is irrelevant since the film's trailer and synopsis were already publicly available at the time. So it's like, if you see a trailer for a movie, you write it down and you get it registered real quick, and then yeah. you make the movie a year and a half later, you're not impressing anybody. Another horror film called Madman was about to take third place in the race to a successful Cropsey movie when, during a casting call, one actress mentioned that her boyfriend had just been cast in a very similar film called The Burning. Based on this testimony, the filmmakers threw out their entire Cropsey-centric plot and delayed filming until October of 1980. Madman didn't make it to theaters until January of 82.
3: But it is a Cropsey story? Star- no. Not
2: anymore. The okay. finished product has nothing to do with Cropsy. but it was originally going to be a direct Cropsey adaptation. Mm.
1: Now it's about an ad agency yeah. in the 1950s? They
2: changed a letter in the title. The final script for The Burning came together in just six weeks and tailored to the popular horror movie trends of the time, including A Kill Every 10 Minutes, which obviously changed before production. The budget was initially $500,000, but swelled to $1.5 due to the crew's general lack of experience. It was a first film for almost everyone involved, except for Tom Savini, basically.
3: Yeah, I, I, I think that's pretty amazing that this was a first film, because it's pretty well executed.
2: Yeah. The film was shot mostly at William H. Pouch Scout Camp in Staten Island, Like with My Bloody Valentine earlier this year, the shooting death of John Lennon spooked the MPAA away from allowing graphic kills, and the gore was greatly reduced for the film's theatrical run. When Thorn EMI released the film on home video in the UK, impossibly they released the film's uncut version. What? By mistake.
3: Oh my god.
2: This release, and in particular the Raft Massacre scene. Basically inspired the UK's video nasty list, landing in the top 10 <laughs> slots of section one, the most extreme section.
3: I was going to say, if, if, if you didn't mention it being on the video nasty list, I'd be like, how did they miss this one? Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, this is basically what gave them the idea to start making a list. Yeah. Thorny MI was forced to recall the tapes and distribute the UK approved version. Aside from those rare first edition VHS tapes, the uncut version was not seen again until a DVD release in 2007. What we watched was the Scream Factory Blu-ray of the uncut The uncut br- I
3: was going to say, it, I don't think anything was held back in yeah. this version.
2: Uh, there there might have been some things. We'll, we'll get to later. Okay. In the U.S., the film was buried with a slew of other 81 slashers in the box office, but it sold well overseas and ended up the highest grossing horror film in Japan. In 11 theaters, it made like $1.6 million, which wow. is more than the budget. It should surprise no one to hear that even here on his first film, Harvey Weinstein was a creep. And in 2017, former production assistant Paula Wachowiak testified that she was tasked with getting Weinstein to sign checks for the accounting department and he answered the door of his hotel room in a towel which he then dropped his signature move. The same allegation has been made by countless women over the years and in this case as with many others he requested a massage from the flashed employee and when she refused he harassed her for the remainder of the production. We open the film late at night at Camp Blackfoot. A group of campers are plotting revenge against the groundskeeper Cropsey for constantly starting drunken fights with them for no reason. Everyone swears allegiance to the prank. Whatever they have planned is sure to scare the shit out of Cropsy.
0: Tonight's the
2: night that we scare
0: the shit out of Cropsy, Because when he wakes up, when he sees it, he's going to have a heart attack.
2: He's going to go crazy. One of the kids, Billy, brings over a box, and the guy running the prank asks where the candles are. Billy says they're already inside. The boys all carry the box to Cropsy's cabin. Most of the boys wait outside a window as the ringleader enters the cabin and stages the box beside the sleeping Cropsey. We get a bit of foreshadowing with the insane fire hazard that is the interior of the small cabin. (laughs) Shelves are overloaded with gasoline cans and kerosene lamps hang from the ceiling in bunches.
1: Yeah, You don't want to sleep in an unventilated room next to an
2: open pot of gasoline. Yeah. Cropsey startles awake for a moment and then quickly falls back asleep right next to the kid. He digs a matchbook out of his pocket and moves to light whatever's in the box before he takes it out, which is not the way I would do it. No. Take the thing out and then light it. Don't light it inside the cardboard box. Inside the box.
3: additionally flammable object. Yeah.
2: <laughs> the synthy score comes in low as we see the kids stage the scary object on a table beside the bed just out of frame. Once their friend is clear of the room, the boys outside start knocking on the window and howling at Cropsy until he's awake enough to notice the human head rotting on his desk with candles in its eye sockets and worms squirming out of its face. Do you guys recall the last time we used a cadaver to traumatize our killer in the cold open of a horror film?
3: Oh, shoot, no, I don't.
2: Terror Train
3: oh okay sure was this supposed to be a real head
2: it looks pretty fucking real to me I don't think these kids are little Tom Savini's I think I, they went and got a head somewhere
3: oh okay that's weird Like I it has like
2: human teeth in the mouth and everything it? I yeah. have to
3: go back and look at it because f- for me I was like oh it's like a like a wax head that they stuck some worms nah, on nah
2: this is I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's supposed to be a real okay.
3: head that's grosser
2: Cropsy screams in terror and swats the head off of his desk, but as it rolls across his sheets, they instantly ignite, catching his legs on fire. When we see the legs kicking furiously on fire, these are of course Tom Savini's legs. Outside, the boys are shocked at this unexpected turn. Cropsy knocks over a gas can beside his bed, which explodes, setting the rest of the room ablaze. Apparently, the plan on set was for Savini to move around, slowly setting fire to sections of the room at a time with a torch. But as soon as he entered the cabin, he slipped in a puddle of kerosene, and the whole room went up instantly. Luckily, nobody was hurt, but they wouldn't get a second take on this room, so they just left this version in the film.
3: Well, I guess it's pretty convincing how devastating and quickly it yeah. happened.
2: Yeah. Cropsy, fully engulfed in flames, makes it to the door and comes flailing out of the cabin. He looks like a giant human torch version of Charlie Brown because his head is clearly covered with a larger protective fake head. He tumbles down a hill and into a lake to put out the fire, and the boys scatter instead of summoning emergency services. The man who performed the bulk of the Flaming Cropsy stunt was a third-generation stuntman named Reed Rondell. Sadly, five years later, he died in a fire on the set of an Airwolf episode when he became oh. trapped in a flaming helicopter shortly after a crash landing.
3: Oh my god, that's awful. Yeah.
2: The pilot was pulled safely from the wreckage, but they couldn't get to Rondell in time. We cut to St. Catherine's Hospital one week later. We see an orderly and an intern step out of an elevator together. That's how they're credited.
3: I was going to say, because this guy is supposed to be learning to be a doctor, but it looks like he's in his mid-40s, Yeah, like he's balding.
2: (laughs) The orderly is trying to scare the intern into quitting. Hey, listen, after two
0: months of working here, you're going to feel like an old man.
2: Weirdly though, the guy playing the intern already looks to be in his late 40s, early 50s. (laughs) The orderly drags him against his will toward the burn ward. After you see this guy, you'll never want to come back in here again. Man, this guy's
0: burned so bad, he's cooked a fucking Big Mac.
2: Overdone. You know what I mean? He repeatedly refers to the patient as a freak and a monster on his way to the room. He pulls open the curtains and encourages the intern to take a peek. Do you guys recall the last time that a character was so excited to show off a deformed man to hospital staff?
3: Uh, the elephant man? That's correct. I think I should say that I don't want to discourage people from seeking their medical doctorate later in life. It just seemed unusual. Oh,
2: you already offended our entire (laughs) listener base of old doctors. Before the intern can even get close enough to see, Cropsey's burnt-as-fuck and, for some reason, completely unbandaged arm reaches through the curtain to grab the orderly. It looks like he just has thinly sliced roast beef resting across the length of his arm
3: i thought this arm was amazing it's, like it's, I mean, it's so pretty gross crusty looking like it's cracked and peeling like, i think this is a great burn arm
2: i really wish he'd grab the intern instead of the orderly though because it was just like the whole point was that he was trying to freak this guy out just by looking at him and yeah. then when the, he actually grabs the dude and then the other guy would just run off yeah and leave him
1: but what's weird about this is that it's not i i believed this to be like the escape like, I thought this was going to be like, oh, How this, he got out of the hospital. This is him making his way out of the hospital. But no, it was just before that, I thought that this was a prank. I thought the orderly was just trying to prank this guy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, take a look at this guy and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and that, then when
2: he gets grabbed, then he would be like, oh, we got him. He ran off.
1: Yeah. Um, And uh, because it seemed like it would be too early for, for this kind of
2: a jump scare like a
1: jump yeah. scare
3: what i thought was gonna happen is as they were bringing him over i also thought it was going to be a prank because he was selling it so hard yeah yeah, yeah. that i thought he was gonna get there and the bed was gonna be empty and he was going to be shocked because there was a crazy burn dude there and now there isn't yeah. and that means that he is no longer here
2: <laughs> but instead the orderly screams as he struggles to wrestle his arm back and the other guy runs away we cut to five years later at the same hospital and Cropsy is being discharged. We hear a montage of doctors' voices. One mentions that the skin grafts didn't take and that they can't do anything else to help him for another six months. The last couple voices encourage him to take it easy on the kids who sent him here.
0: For at least six months. I know you still resent those kids, but try not to blame anyone for what happened. It was an accident, purely an accident. You've got to forget your hatred. Control your feelings for revenge. anger, and resentment.
1: I like this story better when it was Darkman.
2: Yeah. It's basically Darkman the whole rest of the story. I've never seen Darkman. What? We see Cropsy walking down the street and employ the services of a prostitute. I wonder where he would have gotten money for this. Well, I mean, you... I mean
3: he's still a dude that used to have a job and like a bank account and stuff, right? Right, but
2: he's literally wa- like he he walked down the street from the hospital to a prostitute. Okay, so you're so saying he, when he
3: got taken to the hospital,
2: if he had money, it was it burnt. Was burnt. <laughs> and
3: it was and and in the ensuing five years, he has not accessed any money from his. I doubt he put. Bed.
2: I doubt he said to someone, "Can you hit up an ATM so I can buy some <laughs> poontang on the way home from the hospital?"
3: <laughs> I don't know. I believe that <laughs> maybe it's, he a, could. it's a Harvey that's Weinstein a, that's, um, that's, yeah, that's true. script. Yeah, I
1: I fully believe like on the Lady way out. Budget. Oh, wait, on the way out, a doctor slipped him like, like 20 bucks and go, here, go, go get laid and have yeah. a good time.
2: He follows her to her place and flips off the lights inside. When he finally gets close enough, she notices the details of his face and asks him to leave. He chokes her against the window of her room for a moment and eventually snatches up a pair of scissors and stabs her in the gut. Blood pours out of her mouth and gut and eventually the pane of glass behind her shatters out of the building. We see animated lightning strikes in the sky and blood spurts in long streaks across her room as the choking sounds fade out we fade up on morning at camp stonewater a softball game is being played and sally is up to bat she gets to first base on the sidelines eddie and dave are staring at the ass of third base woman karen the only player in bikini bottoms
1: this was the weirdest case of the not gaze. where he's totally wrapped around yeah (laughs) he's like dude 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 i totally am into chicks just let me hold you close while we describe this chick's butt because i'm totally into chicks and just gonna just (laughs) gonna smell your neck and it's it's just like what what is what is this i i've never seen two men in a more loving embrace and (laughs) (laughs) that's how it
2: was done at the time dave here is being played by george costanza himself jason alexander in his feature film debut Eddie tells Dave that he's going to get with Karen, and Dave tells him he has no chance. In the middle of the game, Eddie walks up to her, grabs her ass, and yanks her to the side to tell her, not ask, tell, that they're going to have a date tonight at 8.30. The next girl hits a foul into the woods, and Tiger, another girl, is dispatched to get it. (laughs) Tiger, go get the ball.
3: Tiger looks a lot younger than the rest of them. She does. But yeah. she's always with the older kids, no matter what they're doing. So.
2: Well, they did this in uh, Little Darlings, too. There was just one little kid that yeah. hung out with the rest. While she searches, we can see Cropsy with large garden shears in the woods with her. From Cropsy's POV, we watch Tiger look for the ball. The edges of frame are smeared with Vaseline to reflect Cropsy's glaucoma. as cropsy closes in the crowd on the field urge her to give up they can play with another ball but at the last second she finds it just as cropsy is lifting the shears to attack and tiger runs off back to the game we cut to a large taxidermied buffalo head over the crowded camp cafeteria and tip down to the stonewater campers
3: the buffalo's smoking a cigarette though was it i didn't see yeah
2: do you guys recall the last time we cut from a maniac hunting down campers for revenge to a taxidermied head mounted in the room the campers were all having fun in
3: Friday the 13th
2: part 2 yep. Yeah. Karen is evidently disappointed when she compares her relationship with Eddie to Michelle's relationship with Todd but Michelle reminds her that she's been with Todd for years and it's not a fair comparison wait a minute did we jump forward in time significantly or was Eddie already dating Karen when he bet Dave that he could score a date with her
3: I feel like they have a relationship of sorts yeah. but I don't know if they're dating. I
2: feel like Dave wouldn't have said there's no way you can score a date with her if they were already flirting with each other. Yeah. She makes some distressing confessions to Michelle.
3: Sometimes he really scares me. It's true. It's
0: got so I told the supervisor I didn't want to go on the overnight. Are you kidding.
2: Michelle advises her to break it off with Eddie but Karen says sometimes she likes him even though she is literally scared for her own safety to be left alone with him. The supervisor gave her permission to leave the overnight at any point if she felt uncomfortable.
3: This is such a Harvey Weinstein script. I know. It's so icky.
2: (laughs) All the guys are Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. In the whole story. Michelle finishes the scene by saying, you better just get on with it then. What does that mean? Is she just saying, go ahead and have sex with the guy?
3: Yeah, that is what she's saying.
2: That's... That's gross. Yeah, not great advice. I don't think that's what Michelle would be saying to the child at her camp that she's a counselor at.
3: Yeah.
1: There's also a weird fade to black here.
2: After that moment, yeah.
1: Yeah, I was like, that's a weird transition.
2: And we cut to the girls' cabin and a Tarantino-approved close-up of a sleeping girl's feet. The camera floats down an aisle and stops on Sally, who wakes up first and collects her things to head to the girls' shower. On the way, she crosses paths with Barbara— and covertly asks if she had sex with Jason Alexander's character.
0: Hey, Dave show up last night?
2: Sally jumps in the shower, and after tastefully shooting around her nudity for a moment, we slowly pull out for a gratuitous boob shot. Around the same time, she starts hearing creaking boards and looks around, eventually calling to Michelle, hoping it's her. We cut back to the cabin where Michelle is waking the other girls. In the shower, Sally continues calling for Michelle, until she yanks back the curtain, and we cut to the cabin to hear her far-off screaming. As Michelle heads into the shower, she crashes into Alfred coming out and looking flustered. It turns out he was spying on her. Eddie and Todd catch Alfred running away and drag him back to the shower to find out what's going on. Michelle chews out Alfred and tells Todd what he's done, and Alfred's best defense is that he only meant to scare her. Michelle doesn't buy it for a second.
1: Well, you sure as hell did scare her.
2: Okay,
0: okay, Eddie, take him up to the okay? rec Come come on, please. I'll talk
2: with him. Michelle seems familiar with Todd's lenient talks and instead recommends expelling the kid from camp. The correct response.
3: Yeah, like I feel like all of these dudes are creepy and awful in different ways. Right. Like we have Eddie who is like just brute force, handsy, I'm going to just force my way with you. And then we have like uh Alfred who's like the it's Alfred, right? Yeah. We have Alfred who's just this creeper dude who just likes to watch people all the time there's
2: there's two guys who i find defensible and
3: todd is just as bad as the rest of them because Mm -hmm. he just like lets all this shit happen and he just like defends them
2: yeah um the uh todd is definitely one of the gross guys there's there's only two guys in the film that i think don't come off as completely disgusting glazer and (laughs) glazer Glazer is not that disgusting. He's pathetic, but he's not disgusting. Uh,
3: I don't know. I don't. I I feel like the scenes later, he's he's not not great with his girlfriend.
2: I think he asks for things over and over and over again.
3: And who is the second guy?
2: Dave. Yeah, Dave's alright. Dave's fine. Yeah. Todd insists he can straighten the kid out, and Michelle calls him a pushover. Todd promises to endorse expulsion if he thinks the kid will continue to be a problem, and he will. During Todd's lecture, Alfred lies again that he only intended to scare her and had no idea she might be naked while she was taking a shower. How was he to know? He goes on to complain that he doesn't have any friends and he never wanted to come here, so he basically deserves to traumatize people. Todd should apologize to Michelle and grant Alfred his wish of not being here. Todd tells Alfred that when he attended camp as a teen, five years ago,
3: ba, ba, ba.
2: did I mention before that this is five, five years, years after? Later. He didn't get a stern talking to. He got expelled. Of course, snooping... For murdering a man. (laughs) (laughs) Snooping boobies and setting a man on fire are different shades of unacceptable. I
3: guess he isn't murdered. Yeah. Just badly burned.
2: Very badly burned.
3: (laughs) Not dead yet.
2: And even though technically it isn't revealed until the end of the film, I'm comfortable spoiling here that the infraction for which Todd was sent home years ago was in fact the only thing we saw happen five years ago. Why they bothered pretending this was a twist, I have no idea.
3: Were they pretending it was a twist?
2: Well, in the beginning, in the cold open, when they're going around saying, are you in, are you in, are you in, they don't say Todd's name. And then when they play it again at the end, they say Todd's name. Oh. So it's like, what? Todd was one of those guys? That- and it's like, yeah, he said five years ago he got expelled for yeah. doing something terrible.
3: I Well, yeah, because I knew that the entire time. Right. Because i don't remember names and so i just assumed that they said todd right and i just didn't remember because i also <laughs> didn't remember the five other names that they said
2: <laughs> you didn't remember billy or <laughs> billy
1: or sleepy pete and and <laughs> old snoopy St- <laughs> one of them is
2: named snoopy for sure no, no. yes or snoop no snoopy and
1: good old steiny
3: <laughs> you're making richard's all making
2: up. them up i'm not jose ferrer stop it jose
1: ferrer was there
2: (laughs) we haven't seen him since anybody anybody
1: no
2: you brought him up you don't remember no i don't remember (laughs) he's only in one shot of the movie if that helps the first shot
1: oh um the one with the eclipse that's the best i could do sphinx Sphinx? nope the other one with the (laughs) sphinx sphinx. (laughs) The, the evil children eclipse movie
3: oh the other eclipse birthday happy birthday
1: bloody birthday
2: bloody birthday back in the girls cabin they're all joking about the harassment that sally just endured tiger teases sally about their upcoming overnight trip
0: yes yeah, sally just think three nights alone with alfred
2: then they start talking about how gross it would be to have sex with sally's actual boyfriend glazer when suddenly, Barbara makes the worst joke of the group.
3: I'd take Alfred any day.
2: <laughs> Sally doesn't get why everyone hates her boyfriend so much, and we cut to Glazer roughing up Alfred lakeside. He tells Alfred to lay off Sally, and Alfred just stares blankly at him. It obviously pisses Glazer off, and it's pissing me off, too. <laughs> he's just staring at him. <laughs> hmm? He's like hmm? a... Yeah, he's a, on your girlfriend in the shower. What are you going to do about it, guy that's four feet taller than me?
3: He's like always just staring yeah. Yeah. in every scene he's in.
2: Todd breaks it up because he thinks that Glazer even threatening Alfred is unfair. In any other movie, Glazer would be beating Alfred to a pulp, but Glazer's just giving him a warning and Todd thinks it's too much. Todd tries to pick a fight with Glazer.
0: Hey, what's the matter, Todd? You ought to ease up on me, man. You're coming down on the wrong guy. He's the one that was caught looking at the girls in the shower. You ought to be coming down hard on him.
2: Todd starts shoving Glazer around really hard and gives him basically the same warning that he just gave Alfred. Leave people alone or I'll beat the shit out of you. But for some reason, when Todd says it, it's fine.
1: Yeah, I, I have to say that Glazer, I expected Glazer to be like the big bad of the camp. Yeah. But he really restrains himself Yeah. under the threat of Todd.
2: Yeah. And he takes the high road here because he just turns and walks away mm-hmm. instead of continuing the fight. Why Todd is wasting so much time defending this incel piece of shit is beyond me. But as a result, I now hate a second character already. The girls are all sunbathing on a swim raft, which is like a wooden platform in the middle of the lake. Dave, Woodstock, and Fish all walk Alfred out to the edge of the dock with the intention of teaching him to swim before they leave on their overnight trip. Fish jumps into the water to show how easy it is, but Alfred still wants to be an asshole about it.
0: I hate swimming. Not much you do like that.
2: Drown. That's what Dave says before he jumps in the water. Wearing a shirt, because the big boys don't take their shirts off. Woodstock jumps in third, and by the way, he's played by Fisher Stevens. I can't help but get the impression that we're supposed to identify with Alfred, which makes me think that he is based in some way on Harvey Weinstein specifically. Glazer sneaks up on Alfred and shoves him hard into the lake. Dave shouts at Glazer for being a jerk, because Alfred can't swim, but Glacier doesn't give a fuck, and there's also three guys there to catch him. Like it's not like he pushed him in the middle of the river. There's already three dudes right under him.
3: Yeah, but like, weren't they bringing him out there to, to get teach him how to swim? swim. Yeah, yeah. Like-
2: you should have thrown him in the water. Well, yeah, I don't understand. Have you seen John Wayne throw that kid in the water? Yeah, that's what you do. Remember when Frankenstein did it to that little girl?
3: <laughs> Teaching her to swim.
2: But she drowned.
3: Oh,
1: and that girl's name was George
2: Washington. What? <laughs> <laughs> One- Glazer jumps in the water and swims to the girls. The rest of the guys manage to get Alfred back on the dock. By bizarre coincidence, Woodstock happens to have his pea shooter on him and aims it at Glazer's butt on the swim raft. So, like, he had a gun, like, <laughs> in his pocket when he jumped yeah. into the water? I guess. Okay. Ready. Aim. Park him. Glazer's obviously pissed, and they all moon him laughing until one of the girls shoves Glazer off their raft. We cut to the boys' cabin that night. Dave is returning from a shopping trip, and he hands out everyone's goodies. Porno mags for fish and Woodstock, and condoms for Glazer. Dave accidentally got unlubricated rubbers for Glazer, and he refuses to pay for them. He doesn't accept them either.
1: Yeah, Uh, but I have to say, despite all of this, Glazer is
2: like... Thinking about protected sex? Yeah,
1: I was like good for you right
3: <laughs> all right maybe you guys are gonna bring me around on the yeah. head here <laughs> so
2: far I mean he's definitely a doofus he seems like an idiot and when he swam to that raft he was just saying to his girlfriend like hey are we gonna hang out tomorrow hey are we gonna do things tomorrow and he keeps asking her to hang out with him and instead of just saying she's not saying no she's being coy every time he requests anything she says I don't know maybe maybe we'll do I don't know I don't want to get my hair wet and everyone laughs at it like it's a big joke and it's like yes Glazer is pathetic. I totally accept that conclusion. But nothing he's doing is inherently disgusting so far. We get a quick shot of Cropsy's POV approaching the cabin door, and from inside we only see him for a few frames through the window, but long enough for Alfred to notice and freak out. By the time he calls it to the attention of the cabin, Cropsy is gone, and they don't believe him. Todd walks through the camp and sneaks up to the outdoor bathroom. He peeks in the window because he thinks he hears someone inside, what if that was a girl taking a crap? Yeah. What are you doing?
1: I, I was like, it's just as bad as Alfred. Yeah. Yeah.
2: He says like, "What's that? Who's in there?"
1: What does it matter? It's the bathroom. Yeah. We, like, <laughs> and then when he goes
2: and opens the door, it's a fucking dove. That's what was in there. <laughs> Who closed a dove in the bathroom?
1: What did you eat? Just. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I just imagined it was someone like, "Let's see if the smell of my shit can kill a bird." <laughs>
1: inconclusive now
2: (laughs) thanks a lot the guys all wander into the cafeteria late apparently for something as they pass the girls table dave leans in to kiss barb and she freaks out a little glazer asks sally if they can share a canoe tomorrow and she's being very wishy-washy about it dave tries to drag glazer away from the girls table and glazer flips on him grabbing him by the collar and dragging him to the next table himself he tosses salt from a salt shaker at alfred and Dave jumps to Alfred's defense.
0: Oh, Fuck Alfred. What harm is he doing? He's been staring at me. That's the harm he's doing. Maybe he wants your body, Glazer.
2: <laughs> Glazer's right, and Alfred is still staring at him. Yeah. Dave turns to the girls and asks if they need anything for the trip tomorrow.
0: Nothing I can get you. Life jacket, spermicide. Oh.
2: Woodstock mentions he needs vitamin E, and Fish makes fun of him for buying into vitamin fads. But vitamin E is made from fish. I
3: was gonna just say that. <laughs>
1: Uh, I also like that Dave fully supports Woodstock's masturbation habit. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's my jerk. He's the jerk off champion. You the yeah. guy gotta, gotta keep that going. Yeah, and that, going.
2: Yeah, the, Dave is really the best character in the movie because he jumps to all of his friends' defenses and even like crappy people's defenses sometimes. But yeah, here he's like he's like, oh yeah, lay off my champ. Like he's he's doing great. You don't you, you just do you, buddy. Don't worry about them. Do you guys recall the last time a character was concerned about his vitamin E intake?
3: I remember we were making jokes about how it clumps together when it's like left too long. Mm -hmm. What was that in?
2: So he throws it out and heads off to the vitamin store. Oh, Oh. it's modern romance. There you go. (laughs) Woodstock heads back to the cabin and the supervisor addresses the rest of the campers. First, he takes his time getting the crowd to quiet down, but they don't seem much quieter when he starts talking. Tomorrow's trip is a three-day canoe trip to Devil's Creek and he endorses the buddy system.
1: Also, why is he telling everybody when it's just like the twelve, 12 of, them? of yeah. them who are going? That is
2: weird. We follow Woodstock back to the cabin and we get sort of a heartbeat score as he finds the lights burnt out. He digs through a suitcase with a flashlight looking for his pills, and just as he finds them, a shadow fills the door to the cabin.
1: Well, uh, before that, we get a cropsy, blurry POV, but he's on the ground, like you can see blades of grass. So that means he's laying on his stomach, like with his head tilted forward. <laughs> and, and I gotta wonder what it's he's like, is this, doing. Is this is this
2: Cropsy's hand? Yeah, from like, the movie The Hand. Where you like, have the grass POV. Yeah,
1: I was like, what is it? How could he possibly? What I don't I don't get it. It's I called th- an
3: army crawl, Richard. Yeah, you use it to sneak up on people.
2: It's called an army crawl when it's just an arm too. <laughs> <laughs> Someone steps inside and Woodstock is paralyzed with fear until he realizes it's Todd, here to escort him back to the cafeteria. The supervisor advises the kids that they should have one good swimmer in each canoe, and we cut to a whole swarm of canoes making their way upstream. The canoes start to crowd each other in the middle of the stream, and soon everyone is splashing each other with their paddles.
1: Like, they're all having a good time. Even, again, even Glazer is just, like, smiling and they're splashing each other. I was like, this is great.
2: And this I like Dave. Fun. Dave gets in like a tug of war with Michelle with one of the paddles, and then he slowly pulls their canoe to the side until it fills with water and it just starts sinking, but they're all laughing about it. They're having fun. We cut forward to a campfire that night. Todd is telling everyone the tale of Cropsy at Camp Blackfoot. According to the story, the whole camp burnt to the ground. So I guess Todd wasn't so much sent home as the camp ceased to exist. <laughs>
3: uh so I don't really understand why you would tell the story
2: about the guy you set on fire about
3: yeah about the 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 the, the crime you committed. Because he
2: has no remorse <laughs> at all. A hundred percent no remorse.
3: He's no issue with this. Nope. But also, I mean he's saying it like it's a like it's a legend, you right. know? And it's just like, no no no. There was a dude. I mean I guess the legend part is that he kills children. Right. But there was a dude named Cropsy and you
2: horribly tried disfigured to, you him
3: tried to kill him yeah
1: <laughs> i i think this is also to try to sell the reveal that todd was one of the group
2: right so that it's like oh well he's telling it like it's a legend so he heard about it from someone. yeah it's like but just by coincidence he got kicked out of a camp right down the way five years ago todd says everyone at camp hated cropsy because he was always wasted and constantly abused campers everyone seems very wrapped up in the story Todd gets to the events of the film's cold open about the prank gone wrong in the human fireball.
1: Cold open? (laughs) Hot open.
2: (laughs) Amongst the faces around the campfire here, I spotted the character Sophie as played by Holly Hunter for the first time, but I don't think she's had a line yet. And I don't think she has one for the rest of the movie either.
3: I don't think I ever noticed her.
2: Todd adds a detail to the story that I don't recall from the first scene. As he screamed out, burned alive, he cried,
0: I will return! i will have my revenge
2: i don't remember him saying anything no. other than Ah! <laughs> todd says Cropsy's he's still out there in the woods half man half monster living off the fish we see someone in black gloves approaching the circle from behind sally he brandishes a knife as todd finishes the story he's out there
0: watching waiting don't look he'll see you don't move
2: Ah! suddenly cropsy leaps out and everyone screams and bolts away until todd gets to him and wrestles the mask off to reveal that it was eddie pranking everyone
3: the mask kind of reminded me of the funhouse mask
2: yep gunther for sure i totally thought the same thing do you guys recall the last time that a camp counselor was telling the story about someone who nearly died at a neighboring camp exactly five years ago and swore vengeance on all the local campers even suggesting that he lives off the wildlife in the woods here only for the story to be interrupted by someone pretending to be that killer but eventually being revealed as the film's goofy prankster camper
3: Friday the 13th Two. that's right oh but they aren't related no
2: they're two different movies yeah. see uh, <laughs> Weinstein came up with this idea years ago <laughs> he's basically a genius <laughs> honestly what an embarrassing similarity I can't believe they left the scene in at all the mask here, though, reminded me of Gunther from The Funhouse. House. We <laughs> take that part out. The music from this moment is also jarring because it feels like we're about to cut to the credits of an episode of Goosebumps. It's all synthy, uplifting, and very final sounding. Later that night, or should I say, day for night, Karen and Eddie wander through the woods toward a swimming hole. He kisses her hard but she seems uncomfortable with it and he's offended by her discomfort. She's worried about being another notch in his belt and Eddie tells her sex isn't anything special. It's just something that happens between people.
3: Right, right. so his argument for, well, yes, you would be another notch in my belt, but right. it's not a big deal to be a no, notch in a I, belt. I think he's
2: saying I don't <laughs> even, I'm don't even. i not even keeping notches anymore. That's his point.
1: <laughs> oh, okay. I have too many notches. I can't tell where to are You're
2: belt. less important than the notches in my belt. <laughs> I stopped keeping track.
1: I'm all about buckles now. <laughs> I wear, so I wear many suspenders, buckles. actually. Yeah, He's know.
2: just got 19 <laughs> suspenders on.
1: <laughs> One for each lady.
2: Eddie invites her swimming, but she doesn't have a bathing suit on. So, who needs a bathing suit? Who's going to see you here? You. He strips down and gets into the water, and she asks him to promise, but I'm not sure what the promise is. My guess would be that she wants him to promise that this is just a swim. She strips down as well and gets into the water and immediately complains that it's too cold, but he offers to warm her up. He pushes her quickly to get physical, and she reminds him that this isn't what she wants.
0: Cut up. Why'd
2: you come out here then? He grabs her hard, and she has to physically shove him away.
0: You fuck! Get the fuck out of my face!
2: She swims back to the shore, but her clothes are gone. Do you guys recall the last time we saw full frontal nudity from a brunette night swimmer who returned to shore to find her clothes stolen?
3: (laughs) Friday the 13th, part 2.
2: Crazy. She wanders around in the wilderness looking for her clothes which have all been inexplicably hung on branches around the area. Apparently this actress was not at all comfortable doing this scene and even less comfortable to film the part walking around looking for her clothes in the woods but I guarantee you 100% that producer Harvey Weinstein found an excuse to be on set this day.
3: Come on, you guys.
0: Oh, sh- Come on. Where are my clothes? Come on, please.
2: She eventually redresses herself one article at a time, until on her way to her shirt... She's grabbed by a man in gloves with garden shears, and he slits her throat with the shears, and then stabs them into a tree while she bleeds out. He leaves the shears there with the body, but don't worry, he's got more, and nobody ever finds these ones. (laughs) But this is like 50 minutes into the movie, and it's only our second kill, and it's the first one of the campers, which is like such a... Uh, departure from the original one kill every ten minutes rule that they were yeah. starting with.
3: Well, I mean, I feel like if you add up all the kills from this movie, yeah, and then divide maybe. it out, yeah, it, you're still getting an average because there's a
2: there's a forty eight second of, span there where a, load of a lot happened.
1: <laughs> uh, I also don't like that the whole opening sequence with him in his first kill was with a pair of like large scissors right and now he's switched to garden shears
2: yeah like if if we're gonna say that he brought bush money to the hospital that he probably also brought his gardening shears just in case but the why the,
1: but why yeah but why the switch you know
2: yeah i mean we had the same problem with um i think it was he knows you're alone where he used the same weapon a few times in a row and then suddenly he switched to using scissors for like when he was at the wedding shop and it's just like why you set up that this character had an ammo and he used the specific weapon and now he's just doing whatever
1: and how did he get to the camp
2: walking yes indeed he, he took the <laughs> <a>
3: prostitute's car
2: <laughs> there you go
3: did cropsy take eddie's clothes too
2: nope
3: he didn't because eddie has clothes here right yeah right because if i were her i would have just taken eddie's clothes if somebody took my clothes yeah. when i got it out of the lake
2: that's true yeah
3: i think that or they did take eddie's clothes and i want to see what happened when eddie got out of the water how he get back to his sleeping bag and get his clothes back
2: i bet cropsy took them both so that she wouldn't have anything to put on and then put his clothes back after he killed the girl oh maybe because cropsy is straight as an arrow and he don't want to see no dong (laughs) we crossfade to the next morning and we see todd and michelle waking up eddie in his sleeping bag on the ground Michelle admits that when Karen never came back to the camp last night, she assumed that she was out fucking Eddie and didn't bother to check on her. What the hell kind of camp is this that the counselors would allow the kids to have sex with each other?
1: I don't think that they're... I think that they are all counselors.
2: No, there's only two counselors.
1: Are you sure? Yeah, Yeah. it's it's just Michelle and Todd are
2: the two counselors. Everyone else is a kid. Yeah. And they're also... 20 years older than every other kid at the camp
1: well see and that's what was weird when when they got to the in the scene at dinner right they were all walking around and alfred even like kind of goes and like some of the kids like like talk to him and like he pats him on the head and and stuff and then they all sit at the same table together yeah
3: but when he gives the announcement he's like only the older campers are going so he referred to them as older campers and
2: and they only ever refer to todd and michelle as counselors
3: yeah
1: i I, I misunderstood this whole thing it's
2: very weird eddie tells them he has no fucking clue where she is and offers to yell into the woods like they could easily be doing michelle basically accuses him of murdering her
0: are you sure you didn't go just a little too far take it easy
2: on account of karen saying that he sometimes scared her but why would you let her stay out all night with someone like that
3: right well i don't think it's she's accusing i think she's accusing him of 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 rape and, and and that she got upset and left
2: Oh Okay. See, I I took it as literally like, you clearly killed her. Where is her body? But you're probably right. She probably just means you raped her and she ran off. Yeah. Eddie admits that he might have come on too strong and that she left him here. Around this time, they notice that the canoes are gone, and Michelle assumes it's because Karen accidentally loosened them all, intending to take just one back to camp after Eddie made her uncomfortable.
1: But that would imply that all of the canoes are in the water completely in the water
2: yeah and just tied together i assume and
1: not like actually like kind of dragged up onto the ground where they would be more secure that would make more sense I, I didn't understand that at all unless there was like a dock or something that we didn't see
2: yeah todd gathers everyone together to ask for clues as to where the canoes might have gone and eventually suggests <laughs> canoes, they might clues. canoes clues. <laughs> we just got a letter he eventually suggests they build a large raft to return to camp and they send kids out to search for canoes and if they can't find them to find wood fish is annoyed at the aimless search
0: man what the hell are we supposed to be looking for anyway your, your mother. mother
2: woodstock and dave seem amused to have made the same joke simultaneously
3: how long would it take them to just walk back to the camp like, well he says that river, the woods are
2: super thick on both sides of the river and it okay. would take a really long time so
3: it's not feasible to, so so the river is really the only way to get back because i, I was mean like, you just could walk.
2: yeah it would just take way less time to take the river than it would to take the woods
1: okay but that would it take sense. less time to build a to build a raft. raft and take the river <laughs> yeah or to walk
2: Barb presents them with a milk carton because it floats and Woodstock tosses it in the river because it's not useful. Sally and Glazer search for wood together and Glazer is annoyed that she seems to be ignoring him. He starts kissing her against a tree and she struggles to escape.
0: Come on, we're meant to be looking for wood. Yeah, right. Glazer, no!
2: Surprising for Glazer to pass up on an opportunity to say, I got some wood right here.
3: Right? (laughs) I was waiting for that joke.
2: Eventually, he lets her go, and we cut to Todd and Eddie tying a raft together. We cut back to Glazer and Sally again, and he's humping her against a rock, seemingly against her will. She's very forceful in her rejection, and then completely undoes it by saying, but we'll have sex later, and then undoes that by saying, maybe. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? She's bad at communication, is what I'm saying. We pan over to that fucking psychopath, Alfred, watching them make out from afar, or maybe he's just planning to scare them. (laughs) back on the river Todd is sending off the raft they built on board are Eddie Woodstock Barbara Diane and Fish they're all instructed to return with the canoes if they find them and the paddlers are quickly fighting about who's doing their share of the work they eventually locate one canoe but just as they reach it Jason I mean Cropsey pops out of it and he raises his shears to the sky he slashes open Fish's chest and then he stabs Barb in the back and shoves her overboard Diane leans back, covered in blood, but I don't think anything happened to her yet. She's just covered in blood. Woodstock raises his hands to block the attack, and Cropsey clips off the tips of all of his fingers on one hand. (laughs) For the final kill, he plunges the shears into Eddie's throat, and blood gushes from his mouth.
3: But at that point, I was cheering. (laughs) Yes.
2: And then he turns back to the screaming Diane, and he slashes open her forehead, clear to the bone, and brain goo is just spilling out of the gash in her head.
1: So what i like about this whole situation is that cropsy let loose all the canoes but hid in one of
2: them hoping they would catch up with it
1: <laughs> hoping that they would build a raft how long has he been laying in this canoe <laughs> drifting down the river he's just like so excited in the canoe yeah. <laughs> for someone to come by when he heard the splashing he's like this is it this is
2: it oh my god if this is them i'm gonna shit myself <laughs> i should have left them one canoe to catch up with this one ah they'll build a raft they'll definitely build a raft and, and Out this, of sticks,
1: and this canoe won't <laughs> won't float away like down the river too he anchored, far. He
3: anchored the canoe, obviously. Okay, like you do. Is that is With
1: that what a you body?
3: Did? <laughs> well, that's what I thought was going to happen. As they're yeah. approaching the canoe, yeah. I'm like, of course he left. Uh, her, he left Mary. her in the in, in the canoe to f- to find them, and they'd be all shocked, and then no it was him so it was actually super surprising yeah, yeah, yeah. when he puffed out of the canoe
1: <laughs> uh, also like super like his agility of quickly going from a laying down position to,
2: to rising standing up above in them, a
1: canoe to, to standing in a canoe <laughs> those things like rock yeah. back and forth
2: and, and swinging down and, swinging stabbing down and, and like
1: <laughs> this whole thing is so ridiculous <laughs> he would have liked a wide
3: shot of all of this
2: and still i would say not the most confusing kill that we'll get from him in this movie but we'll get to that Uh, we see a line of blood trickling down diane's arm into the water and we dip to red and then we fade back up on michelle and todd moving through the wilderness michelle worries that they might get lost and todd asks if that would be so bad they start kissing for a bit
0: come on we better get back before it gets dark huh i've got a better idea
2: That night, we cut to Glazer and Sally having what sounds like unsatisfying sex. It's very rapid, short thrusting, and almost instantly, Glazer is done. Shit.
3: That's all? Is it?
2: I'm sorry, Sally. I don't know what happened. It's okay. it will be better next time, baby. Trust me.
3: Trust me, baby.
2: Sally is pretty brutally verbalizing her disappointment.
0: You're cold, huh? Yes. You didn't do too much to warm me up.
2: He assumes she wants to head back for the night, but she says that she wants to stay with him. Is Michelle going to let another girl do this a second night in a row? We see Cropsey watch them from the tree line. Glazer says he's going to run back to the camp to collect supplies for them. Cropsey's vision watches her alone until Glazer's out of sight, and then he sneaks up on Sally.
1: Do you remember the last time someone was going to slip away to get stuff for making a campfire while the killer was left with the girl?
2: Graduation day?
3: Friday the 13th, part two? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was thinking
2: no. of uh,
1: the eyes of a stranger.
2: Well, then I win, because graduation day was more recently. Oh, okay. <laughs> but,
3: wait, wait, what, what, the last time the somebody slips
1: away to make a fire wait was that graduation day may i'm confusing the movie
2: graduation day is when he i can't remember what he's leaving to get but he says he's going to go get some supplies and the girl says she's going to wait for him and that's when the killer pops out in the fencing outfit
1: I, I i just remember the scene where they're at a beach and they have like a beach blanket and he says he's going to go collect and he comes back oh that's the beginning of maniac oh that's me getting a maniac
2: yeah.
3: Okay. well then friday the 13th part 2 was after maniac oh, okay because she slips away <laughs> to the car to like go get a hairbrush and get ready in her undies that's and, right yeah she, And
2: she comes back and he's already yeah axed in the face murdered macheted in the face as soon as glazer's out of sight cropsy sneaks up and steps over sally straddling her and then they wrestle for a moment with the shears we cut to glazer sneaking through camp to grab a matchbox and we see Alfred is watching him, pretending to sleep. Alfred's Sally senses are tingling again, so he follows Glazer away from the camp, assuming that wherever Glazer is headed, naked Sally awaits. When Glazer gets back to Sally, it looks like she's sleeping in the sleeping bag. I really wanted him to go wake her up, and she'd be like, oh man, there was a guy here with scissors, and we wrestled for a bit, but then he left, so I took a nap. <laughs> Instead, when Glazer peels open the sleeping bag, somehow... Cropsy leaps out of it and plunges the shears into Glazer's neck. How did you not notice a second person inside full, of this sleeping a full bag? A full-grown
3: man yeah. is under this sleeping bag with her.
2: Yeah,
1: well, I just assumed it was only her head.
2: Oh yeah, that oh. would make sense. That he
1: just had her head above him, and then he was the rest of the body. I thought the
2: the he was going to The last time be...
3: somebody used him number.
2: <laughs> somebody, what? No, what was that one?
3: It it didn't actually happen, but. We were talking about using uh, Mrs. Voorhees' head as a puppet. As a puppet, yeah. <laughs> I'm
1: okay, Jesus. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Would she have her hand up the neck hole? Yeah, like yeah. controlling the mouth. <laughs> well, that's real gross. You guys are sick. Alfred watches from behind the trees, looking very aroused by all of this. Cropsy lifts Glazer off the ground with the power of his stab and then pins him to a tree. At this point, very briefly, I assume that Cropsy and Alfred were on the same team, but then Alfred runs back to camp to tell Todd what happened. He's tripping over his words throughout the story, but Todd can grasp that at least people were murdered and assumes it's another dumb prank.
1: I, I was almost assuming that it sounds like Alfred is confessing oh, to maybe. murder.
3: Yeah, but like Todd is slow to like I, I he's slow to accept what elfer is saying and I, i'm like you're a counselor like you are in charge of people like i don't care if they're pranking you if somebody comes out to you and said somebody is dead like especially because you also have a missing person like yeah. right now you need to just be like what do you mean are you serious stop tell me clearly like are you are you joking
2: yeah i feel like no one has really played any pranks on todd in terms of like during the plot of this movie but every time anything happens either he or michelle say oh it's probably someone playing a prank on us again so that when we get to this point they will assume that it's a prank even though we really haven't seen them play any pranks on todd
3: no todd was the only one that pulled a prank right
2: yeah exactly
3: or multiple pranks
2: that's the problem is he's projecting
3: Mm. like that
1: prank he pulled on cropsy yeah a silly
2: prank alfred says for sure glazer is dead and then when todd accuses him of bullshittery he starts into his woe is me nobody believes me i was just trying to scare her i'm so nice incel bullshit they return to the murder scene together and todd finds glazer dead on the ground cropsy the camouflage king suddenly appears beside todd with the shears and alfred warns todd before running off cropsy clips todd across the eyebrow and we cut to alfred running full speed through the woods cropsy hot on his trail
1: For some reason cropsy chooses not to finish todd
2: or cropsy didn't know because because cropsy's drunk permanently drunk so he doesn't know if he killed him or not the music gets trippy and disorienting here and we cut back to todd waking up not fatally struck by the shears the next morning michelle notices the raft floating back downstream past them and it looks like everybody's sleeping on it dave and alan wait with all the surviving girls on the shore and call out to the raft Alan, by the way, is the kid that looks like Rusty Griswold, kind of. I don't think he says anything, Mm -hmm. um, but I'm assuming that's Alan because all the other names were taken on IMDb.
1: I like that you compare him to Rusty Griswold as if Rusty Griswold wasn't played by a different actor every (laughs) single time.
2: Well, you know the one I'm talking about, though. He's the only one that looks like any of the Rusty Griswolds.
3: (laughs) Which all looked kind of alike.
2: (laughs) Yeah, they're all redheaded kids end michelle volunteers to check the raft for everyone she's halfway to the boat when todd appears across the river covered in blood and shouting to see if they've seen alfred when michelle reaches the raft she sees the bloody aftermath of the raft massacre a bloody arm flops out onto her shoulder and when she grabs it to throw it back she realizes it's not connected to a body dave jumps in to save the screaming michelle when woodstock floats up out of the water right in her face with his throat slit open which I don't remember seeing in the scene, but maybe they shot it and then it didn't make it even into the uncut version. We dip to red again and then fade into all the survivors crying on shore. We see Alfred still running through the wilderness and stopping under a cliff before tilting up to find Cropsy waiting above him.
1: I thought he was just going to let the shears <laughs> That'd drop. That'd great, yeah.
2: Cropsy likes to let the shears drop. <laughs> The rest of the survivors are using the murder scene raft to paddle their way back to camp while Todd looks for Alfred in the woods.
3: So did they like pull it up to shore and like unload Took the, all bodies the bodies off, and parts stacked off them up yeah. so that they Do they hose it down? We'll
2: reassemble the people <laughs> on the shore. No, this is all important. You need to leave <laughs> them on the raft. I got some fingers here. <laughs> I doubt they found all the fingers. When we cut back to Todd in the woods, he suddenly has a full-size axe that I didn't notice before. He continues screaming out for Alfred, and then we cut to Alfred from Cropsey's POV. The bloody raft makes its way back to camp, and the supervisor wants to know where his canoes went.
0: What's with the raft? Where are my canoes? Jeff, where's the outboard? What do you want with the outboard?
2: Other than her saying Jeff here, the character has no name. And is credited as supervisor, but the actor's name is Jeff. So I'm assuming she was just talking to the actor.
3: But if somebody like who's at uh you know, like a special event where they're far away down the river comes running up the shore
2: covered in blood
3: on a random raft yeah. and screams that they want the outboard, aren't you alarmed and not like accusatory? No, I'd
2: be like <laughs> Ugh, why? Where are my canoes? Go get my canoes, swim back and get my canoes. Michelle fills him in on everything that's happened, but he obviously thinks it's another prank, but then she points to all the blood and trauma.
0: Listen to me, there is a killer out there. Oh, come on, Michelle. Todd put you up to this. God damn it, look at those
1: kids.
2: We cut back to Alfred as he climbs up a steep incline to the concrete foundation remains of an abandoned mine. He pauses to catch his breath.
1: Why wasn't this the
3: camp? That's what I thought it was like, as they started to approach, like you know this empty shell of a concrete building like it was yeah. just kind of run down walls i was like oh it's the burnt out camp yeah but it's not it's a mine
2: well I, and the other thing that annoys me is that some of the some of the filmmakers have said oh yeah that, that was supposed to be camp blackfoot and it's like but it's not because it's connected to a copper mine it has
3: a mm-hmm. mine cart in yeah it for some it's reason. clearly
2: not a children's <laughs> camp on the boat with the outboard motor, Michelle complains about its top speed and hopes out loud that police have already found Alfred and Todd, since they were supposedly taking a helicopter. Alfred explores around the ruins, and when he stops for another breath, a gloved hand reaches around a corner to grab him by the neck. He screams, and Todd hears him and runs toward the sound. Cropsy puts a gag in Alfred's mouth and then opens the shears to stab them into the wall of a wooden shack around Alfred's arm. So like the... Blades are open, and they're go- they're pinning into the wall on either side of his arm, holding him in place.
3: Yeah, but I'm trying to imagine how he tied the gag in his mouth while yeah. holding him down, and, and and then he also had the shears in his hand, or did mm. he set those down and then pick oh, them back knows. up to, and then open them? And <laughs> It like, seems logistically really difficult to get Alfred in this position.
2: <laughs> Todd searches around the rubble for Alfred. He finds a wall of rusty, corrugated tin sheets and opens a door in the wall. This was actually an abandoned copper mine that they found during production, the director said there was so much dust in the air that they were coughing it up for weeks after the film wrapped.
3: Wait, they found it during production and just decided to use it?
2: Yeah, they had another location that was supposed to be used. What a
3: terrible idea. Yeah. That is, so, that is dangerous. so dangerous.
2: Well, so they actually found two caves that they were trying to decide between, and after they did their survey of the first cave, it collapsed. So they had to use the other one.
3: Oh my god, don't go in there and then use the equipment because they use it.
2: I don't know how much of the interior was actually shot in the mine,
3: but but I'm just saying there is a minecart that shows right, up
2: right. But that could be on a soundstage. I don't know that they part.
3: definitely didn't bother to recreate that. No, I, that I don't shit. think so either. They used it. Oh, so dumb.
2: Todd moves around inside the mine and calls out for Alfred. He eventually makes his way into the path of a minecart parked on an incline. When he gets close, someone shoves it down the path toward him and he barely falls out of the way at the last second and through a rotted wood wall. When he opens his eyes, we get a flash of Karen's dead body, confirming what he feared, but sadly, the actress was not available on set this day, so they replaced her with a still frame from her death scene and just slowly push into it. It looks completely bizarre and you can barely even tell who it's supposed to be. Suddenly, Cropsey ignites a blowtorch across the room Not a safe tool to use in a dusty mine, by the way. Mm -hmm. We get the surprise flashback to the Night of the Prank, and we see that Todd was one of the initial pranksters that sent Cropsey to the burn ward. We see all the flames of Cropsey's accident, and then cut back and forth to the flames of the present.
3: And it's not just like, when you say blowtorch, like he's got... Like
2: it's got a huge candle.
3: On it's it. one of those giant flamethrower yeah. type. Yeah, it's halfway blow between torches. a blowtorch
2: and a flamethrower. It's
3: like the kind that they use for like glass blowing to like heat the glass up. Like right. it's it's a huge flame. It's not just like this tiny little propane tank with a little flame on it. But yeah. it's
2: also not like a full backpack flamethrower situation.
1: Yeah. yeah. And and yeah, and it's not just people are saying blowtorch when I, when someone says a blowtorch to me I usually think like an acetylene torch. Like a very small but hot flame. Yeah. This is like this is like a lot of fire
2: suddenly the torch goes out and the scene goes silent for a moment it looks like this scene got rearranged a bit in post because we get another insert of the mine cart still at the top of the ramp yeah and then todd yes. is standing in the track where the cart had previously crashed yeah that but it's not me there too. uh todd explores for a while more until he can hear alfred's tortured moans todd finally comes face to melted face with cropsy who reignites his weapon and Todd desperately swings his axe in Cropsy's direction.
3: Why would Cropsy want to use a torch? Like because that's what they did to him. But I so so this is doing to him what was done to him. Yeah. I guess that makes sense. But at the same time, I'd be like, I don't want to be anywhere near fire again for the rest of my life. That's
2: true.
1: Well, and and I have some questions about Cropsy's entire motivation. In that, was all this just to get to Todd?
2: Has he already killed everybody else?
1: Well, we don't know because because what, what what's stupid about this whole flashback issue is that none of those other people return
2: and also todd's not even the one who went and put the head right. in the room yeah like that kid should be target number one todd was in a group of six guys outside but here he collapses to the ground and he drops his axe alfred can see this happening and finally moves to free himself from the wall he pries the shears out and then buries them in the back of Cropsey's neck, fully through his neck and out the front. Cropsey drops his torch and collapses to the ground, and we cut to the helicopter's POV on approach. Michelle waves them down to the shore. Todd and Alfred leave the mine together, and the music gets happier again, when Cropsey pops up behind them and gets Alfred in a headlock, but he still has the shears poked completely through his neck and out the front. Todd shouts at Alfred to get away, and then he buries his axe deep in Cropsey's face, pinning it to a support beam in the mine with his chop. Obviously, this fateful swing was left to Tom Savini to perform, because if somebody's gonna destroy the beautiful mask he made, it better be him. As if being stabbed all the way through the neck and then having his head bisected with an axe wasn't enough, Alfred leans forward to set the corpse on fire, and then we get another flashback of Cropsy in flames five years ago. Together, they leave the mine, and we just watch Cropsey burn inside for a while. They never found his body, but they say his spirit lives
0: in the forest.
2: This forest.
0: A maniac. A thing no longer human.
2: We fade to a future counselor, maybe grown up Alfred, telling the same Cropsy tale. They say he lives
0: on whatever he can catch. Eats them raw. Alive, maybe. And every year he picks on a summer camp and seeks his revenge for the terrible things those kids did to him. Every year, he kills. Right now, he's out there watching. Waiting. So don't look. He'll see you. Don't breathe. He'll hear you.
2: Don't move. You're dead. For some reason switching the last two verbs from the way Todd told the story. We cut to black, right when a prankster should have popped out with a creepy mask, and that's the end of our film.
1: So is the implication that this whole movie was just this campfire tale, or... Is he just recounting the tale much as Todd did?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's Alfred's turn to tell the story of the murder he committed <laughs> <laughs> to another group of people who get to murder the same guy later the same summer.
3: They sure killed Cropsy a lot. They did. I'm just saying, like, you probably would have wanted a little less dead if police you wanted a s- sequel. Police are already here.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, if you wanted a sequel, for sure. But the police are here, and you want to prove that this guy is the maniac that killed everybody— Probably shouldn't burn all of your evidence. (laughs) The original script had a slightly different ending. It originally took place in a boathouse instead of a mine. That's why on the production they were having to go and find new locations because when they found a boathouse, it was infested with bats, which was a terrible health hazard.
3: But the mine is fine. Yeah.
2: (laughs) You're not going to get rabies from a mine. Worst case, you're going to get black lung. The original script also called for Alfred's death, which I would probably have preferred. Yeah. The final scene and face-off with Cropsey were actually directed by Savini after director Malam struggled with producers over creative differences on how to end the film. There was some talk of a sequel, but a disappointing box office take put an end to that conversation.
3: Well, I guess that which which version was released and was it the full cut that was originally We released? saw the
2: ending that was in the movie in theaters.
3: I'm just saying, like, was the was the full, all the gore that oh, we saw yeah. in the film that was released... No. No.
2: No, there was no gore in it, so everything that Savini did that looked real nice was taken out. Okay, because um, that really
3: was everything that saved the film for me. Like, I, I, I thought it was pretty well put together, but I think it was because the effects were so over the top that it was great.
2: Yeah, I, I thought most of the characters were pretty one-dimensional, but I really liked glazer and i really liked dave because both of them had some some you know there were there were different sides to the characters yeah um but uh but everybody else was very one note eddie was just an angry rapist um and alfred was so you're supposed to sympathize with this kid but the whole time he's just a fucking creeper and he's annoying the shit out of everybody and then todd and michelle are just like we just want to have sex with each other, and we're supposed to be in charge of these kids, but we're gonna let them fuck or whatever. Um, and then everybody else like is the same character. Yeah. I also think it was a huge mistake at the beginning to be like Cropsy was an angry drunk who beat all the kids constantly. It's like, wait, did he deserve to get caught on right. fire? Like, <laughs> isn't shouldn't the point be that you thought you were doing a harmless prank, but still cruel to some like mentally handicapped groundskeeper, and that he accidentally caught on fire, and now he's furious. Because Cropsey should be sympathetic at the beginning of the story. It doesn't make yeah. sense to make him an asshole from the beginning. Because then he's getting revenge for revenge that was already got on him. Yeah. Which is just overcomplicating things. But all the girl characters were basically the same character. Yeah. And I don't like the writing. Uh, the The only parts of the writing that I like were little things that Dave said and little things that woodstock said and i'm pretty sure they made them up on the spot
1: and i was i was really impressed how fisher steven's voice has not changed one yeah bit yeah i mean i i you know i'm i i see him still you know he still performs right a lot in films and tv and and he sounds the same as he did in the 90s as he did in the 80s and as he did in this movie like I didn't recognize him fully like I mean
2: no I, on my first pass I didn't know and then I was looking I was like wait a minute Fisher Stevens was in here and I watched it again. I was like, okay yeah because because yeah. he has a really skinny neck mm-hmm. and he has that jawline
1: but uh once the moment he spoke yeah I was like oh yeah that's that's Fisher Stevens right there yep
2: but um yeah I'd say. It's a thumbs up only for Savini's effects. Yeah. There's honestly... I don't think there's a, there's another reason to watch this. It's
3: yeah, but those were good enough for me that I really enjoyed it.
2: Especially for me, the... I mean, the two that really sell it are the fingers coming off. It's just phenomenal. Because it looks totally real. And also the neck stab with the shears for Eddie. Because he deserved it for so long before yeah. that. But also because... I feel like before this, there's been... Even with Kevin Bacon and Friday the 13th Part 1, there was a clear line marking where the wax body ended and Kevin Bacon started but here I did not see that line like it looked much better than than it did last time um what are we thinking uh, oh, sorry thumbs, thumbs up thumbs down
1: or? for richard oh you know in a in a really big surprise uh, I am going to give it a thumbs down yeah.
2: <laughs> I knew it
3: I knew that as like, I'm like Richard's really not going to like this one <laughs>
2: um and then where is this going uh, Letterboxd-wise. Uh,
1: well, uh, this is actually surprising. I did like this better than Friday the 13th Part 2. Oh, yeah. I uh,
3: definitely like this better than that one.
1: So I have it directly above Friday the 13th Part 2 at number 46.
3: <laughs> well, I have Friday the 13th Part 2 much higher than you, so I also have this one much higher. And I have it, I have it a little bit higher even than a couple other ones on the list. Um, I have it at... 28 out of 58 um it is Hmm. it's much higher than you thought huh
2: uh no actually oh it's lower
3: yeah um i had it higher and then we started talking about some of its downfalls and then i got really creeped out by the harvey weinstein factor of it all and yeah like it kind of it kind of ruins it all, knowing that he just wrote himself into all these awful male characters. To and just so grab
2: women and do whatever they want.
3: It brought it down quite a few spaces. Um I have it below On the Right Track and above The Fun House.
2: I also have it very close to both of those movies. It's directly above On the Right Track, which is directly above The Fun House. Uh, but I have it under Maniac. But that still puts it in 23rd. So I technically have it the highest. And for me... It's way under Friday the 13th. I
3: literally had it at 23 before I moved it down after we started talking. I
2: have Friday the 13th part two in my top 10 right now Mm. because I really liked that movie and I much prefer it to this. Hmm. The director and story came from Tony Malum. Uh, He has mostly documentary credits before and after this. He also directed something called Split Second that takes place in future London with Rutger Hauer and Kim Cattrall. That sounds fun. Writer Peter Lawrence, most of his writing credits were on classic animated series, including one that was partly metal, partly real.
0: Silver
2: Hawks! That's right. He did seven episodes of Silver Hawks. He did 22 episodes of Thundercats, 14 episodes of the late 90s Johnny Quest. Bob Weinstein was a writer, uh, and with his brother Harvey, he co-founded Miramax, named after their parents Miriam and Max, which operated independently from 79 to 93 starting with Rock Show, a concert film released in 1980, and then Spaced Out, a.k.a. Outer Touch, a comedic British Barbarella ripoff, and then this film. Miramax would go on to distribute The Quest in 86, and then later struck gold with Soderbergh's Sex, Lies, and Videotape, which unexpectedly took home the Palme d'Or, top prize of the 89 Cannes Film Festival. Their last hit of the 80s was My Left Foot, And then, in the 90s, they specialized in popularizing foreign directors, distributing Giuseppe Tornatore's Cinema Paradiso, Peter Greenaway's The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover, Pedro Almodovar's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down, Jean-Pierre Genet's Delicatessen, and then in 92, they discovered another cash cow, distributing Reservoir Dogs, the debut feature of a young Quentin Tarantino with whom they would kick off a decades-long partnership. Neil Jordan's The Crying Game was one of their last big hits, scoring a best picture nomination before the studio's june 93 acquisition by disney for the next 17 years miramax would act as disney's independent film arm and gave them a channel to distribute r-rated movies or controversial titles without soiling their family-friendly image they continued to release popular foreign films like jane campion's the piano and christoph kieślowski's three colors trilogy they continued producing tarantino's work and then acquired kevin smith's clerks to kick off another fruitful partnership by now, all the best directors were seeking them out, Wong Kar Wai, David O. Russell, Jim Jarmusch, Danny Boyle, Julian Schnabel, even the English dubs of Hazamiyazaki's Miyazaki's Ghibli films all came out through the Miramax label. In the 2000s, Disney started making detrimental mistakes with the studio, first turning down Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings project because he refused to combine them into a single release. They were transitioning out of the business of producing indie films on account of their proven successes. Fewer risks were taken and Disney's president Bob Iger started butting heads with the Weinsteins and they decided not to renew their contracts with Disney, leaving Miramax for their previously established The Weinstein Company. Miramax floundered in their absence and closed its doors at the end of 2009. One of their final releases, Mike Judge's Extract, had reportedly the best post-production assistance in the business. (laughs)
3: Reportedly.
2: (laughs) Bob is currently the head of former Miramax subsidiary Dimension Films, which is obviously focused on independent horror. Uh, Another story and creator credit for Harvey Weinstein. He did all the same stuff as Bob, but he also raped a lot of women, and then he went to jail where he is now. Fuck him. Story, Brad Gray. He was the CEO of Paramount from 2005 to 2017. A lot of successful people came out of this movie. He also produced a lot of great stuff after this. It's Gary Shandling's show, Happy Gilmore, Cable Guy, Bulletproof, Mr. Show, The Larry Sanders Show, News Radio, Just Shoot Me, The Departed, and The Sopranos. All came from Brad Gray. The music here was from Rick Wakeman, the keyboardist from prog rock group Yes, He was offered a percentage of the film's profits and instead accepted a flat fee, which people often cite as a mistake, but more often than not, accepting a share of profits means that the film will never make a profit, and you won't get any money out of it, so I think he did the right thing. Before this, he had composed the soundtrack to Listomania, and later he would score She, which we'll get to in 84. In a post-apocalyptic world, She aids two brothers' quest to rescue their kidnapped sister. Along the way, they battle weird creatures before standing against the odds to defeat the evil Norks.
3: What year is this? 84. Oh, man.
2: Cinematographer Harvey Harrison, he later DPs Cheech and Chong's Still Smoking and the Corsican Brothers, and Nicholas Roeg's The Witches. Editor Jack Shoulder has hardly any editing credits. Uh, He directed Alone in the Dark next season, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and much later, an episode of the Tremors TV series. He also directed a TV movie called The Omen in 1995 that has nothing to do with the film series or the devil at all. It's just called The Omen. I feel like that's a mistake to do. Mm-hmm. Makeup here was from Tom Savini. We've seen his work now in Friday the 13th, Maniac, and Eyes of a Stranger. Brian Matthews played Todd. Uh, he has mostly soaps after this, specifically Days of Our Lives and Santa Barbara. Leah Ayers played Michelle. Before this, she was Nurse Capobianco in All That Jazz, she's Janice in Bloodsport, and Sandy in The Player. She also took over the role of Marsha Brady on the short-lived series The Bradys in 1990. It was supposed to be a series of TV movies, but at the last second CBS decided they wanted a regular series out of it, so Maureen McCormick walked away because she was a new mother and had no interest in working full-time indefinitely. She was also supposedly displeased with the substance abuse storyline that the producers had planned for her character. It only ran for five episodes. Brian Backer played Alfred. He plays Rat in Fast Times at Ridgemont High and Ethan in The Money Pit. If this movie were getting remade, I would suggest Kyle Mooney from SNL for the part. He could still play a teen, I'm sure. (laughs) Brian Backer also played Woody Allen on stage and I think he got a Tony for it. Larry Joshua played Glazer. He plays mostly cops. He had a recurring Captain Bass on NYPD Blue and recurring Captain Hollander from Cop Rock, which I've never seen, but uh, I've always heard people joke about. Do you know anything about Cop Rock?
1: I, I Only that don't. it exists.
2: That It was a cop musical TV series? Oh, wow. Yeah. He's also a street sign worker in Quick Change, and he plays the wrestling promoter in Spider-Man, who says, I missed the
0: part where that's my problem
2: before Spider-Man says, I missed the part where that's my problem. Back to him. Jason Alexander played Dave. This was his first feature credit. He shows up later in Pretty Woman, Jacob's Ladder, Miscellaneous Voices on Dinosaurs. He was Abysmal on the Aladdin TV series. He was Duckman on Duckman. He's Poseidon on Disney's Hercules series. Catbert on Dilbert and himself in Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's obviously best known for Seinfeld, where he played George Costanza. In one episode in particular, his friend Elaine learns that her boyfriend Putty, as played by Patrick Warburton, is religious, and Kramer pretends to have gonorrhea. The episode is called The Burning. <laughs> More recently, he appeared as conman millionaire Nikki Steele in Faith-Based... Written by friend of the show, Luke Barnett, and starring our daughter, Addie, in her first debut role.
3: I wouldn't say starring. She's basically the main character. She appears in it. Okay,
2: she's in there somewhere.
3: (laughs) But you are too.
2: That's true. It's also my first film, Um, I think. I might be in the background of Bring It On Again, because they shot it at CSUN, (laughs) and I kept walking around behind production. (laughs) Intentionally. Yeah.
3: You're in a TV show, though. Am I? You're in uh, Raising Hope.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah i played a squab hunter because <laughs> i had a really long beard at the time
1: uh alexander also plays uh does the voice of cy i don't know if you did you mention harley quinn oh no i didn't yeah he's the voice of one of the main characters cyborgman
2: yeah i saw that on his imdb but I- i'm not familiar with the show um another role that i always like from him though is uh in shallow Hal, where he has a tail oh yeah he's like <laughs> i have a tail what you mean like a story <laughs> <laughs> And it, w- it wiggles when he's happy. Yeah. Uh, Ned Eisenberg played Eddie. He was Marty in The Exterminator last year. More recently, he was Roger Kressler in 25 Law & Order SVUs, and he's currently Detective Hauser on Mayor of Town, which I haven't seen, but that people cannot stop telling me to watch. Mare of Town with Kate Winslet. Oh, yeah. Fisher Stevens played Woodstock. This was his first feature film. He's actually born Stephen Fisher but switched his names for SAG reasons. He's in brownface for Short Circuit and Short Circuit 2 as Ben Jabatuya and Ben Javeri. His name changes between the films. He's Iggy, one of the Supa Koopa cousins in Super Mario Brothers. He's The Plague in Hackers. He's Chuck Fishman on Early Edition. And he's George Minkowski on Lost, yeah. Richard. Don't worry, oh, yeah. I got you.
1: God, dude, well, gotta get that Lost reference in there um i've been watching uh, the good fight recently and so he plays a, a reoccurring like terrible terrible lawyer yeah uh, on that but um he is also an oscar winner
2: after the weinsteins fisher stevens is the third oscar winner in the cast and crew so far not for acting but for producing the documentary the cove about japanese dolphin hunting and more recently stevens executive produced netflix's tiger king series
3: ah.
2: He and Michelle Pfeiffer were a couple from 89 to 1982. I did not know that. But apparently she visited the set of uh, Super Mario Brothers occasionally. Lou David played Cropsey. He's credited as Leaflet Man and Exterminator last year. Don't remember who that would be. I guess that's someone handing out flyers for, like, the prostitutes. Who knows? Makes sense. He's back as the headline killer in The Last Dragon in 85. Director Malam claims to have played Cropsy for up to 90% of the film since David could not hold the shears at the proper angle that the director wanted. Bonnie Doroski played Marnie. She was a commune member in Simon last year. Holly Hunter played Sophie. This was her first feature film appearance. But do you guys recall the last film that we mentioned her working on? No. She was on the set of Knight Riders. She was a student in the area, mm. and George Romero invited her to work on the film. She comes back in so many great movies, Blood Simple, Raising Arizona, Broadcast News, Always, The Piano, The Good Crash, Jesus' Son, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? She's the voice of Girl. she played Grace on Saving Grace, and more recently she's been playing recurring characters on HBO's Succession and NBC's Mr. Mayor. She remembers the production fondly since she got paid a 1000 bucks a week to hang out with friends and had very little to do in the film, but still landed a SAG card for it. Kevin Kendall played Diane. She's the Froger's daughter in European Vacation, which I think is the girl that befriends Audrey. Jerry McGee played Intern. That's the old man doctor. He was in the Heaven's Gate Band last year. That's the band performing at the roller rink. Willie Reel played Paul. He produced 41 episodes of The Electric Company, and he wrote on Blue Bloods and Billions. KC Townsend played the hooker. She was a stripper and all that jazz. Greg Heinemann played camper, and he was the blind security guard in Return to Return to Newcom High. I think that's everything for The Burning. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. Join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Oh, what's that sound?
0: We got one!
2: That's right, it's our newest patron, Trevor Good. As a patron, Trevor now has access to 19 full-size 70s reviews and 14 minisodes from this season. He also has a voice in which movie we'll be reviewing from the 70s each month. Thank you so much for your contribution to the show. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Kill and Kill Again, which IMDB describes like so. When Dr. Horatio Kane is kidnapped and is forced to create an army of martial artists, his daughter Candy Kane is the only one who can help. She enlists the help of Steve Chase to save her father and the day. We leave you now with the trailer for Kill and Kill Again.
0: James Ryan, four times world martial arts champion, a living weapon of destruction. In 1980, he accepted the challenge to take on a battalion of karate commandos and kill or be killed. Now, James Ryan is back as Steve Chase in the most explosive action adventure of our time. This time, his assault squad of five international superstars must face an enemy that could devastate any army on Earth. The karate clones of the Mad Marduk. And his evil champion of champions, the Optimus. Steve Chase. Must have been domestic. The Fly. Gypsy Billy. Gorilla. Hot Dog. And the magnificent Candy Cane. I had to see for myself how good you really were. Together, they must battle for a prize more valuable than any trophy. The freedom of the entire world. It'll be expensive. Shall we say two million? Five million. In the air, on the ground, and in the arena of death. Let the fun begin. When black belts clash, steel fists collide, in a martial arts free-for-all of global proportions, this is the all-new Kill and Kill Again. The one motion picture that will annihilate every concept you've ever had about the limits of human strength. Conditioning and endurance. Kill and kill again. The challenge continues.